Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to go back uh, uh, memory lane here this morning, okay? I want you to be thinking back in time. For some of us, it's going to be a little bit longer than uh, others. I want you to be thinking about fifth grade. Yeah, fifth grade. I want you to think about fifth grade. Fifth grade, the fall of fifth grade for me was a bunch of brand new. Everything was brand new. I had a brand new school that I was attending in a brand new town in a brand new state that I was living in. Everything is brand new. And as I'm standing in a brand new line on a brand new playground, uh, as we're getting to play a game that I I know well, uh, kickball, and I was facing some brand new captains. I didn't know these guys very well. They didn't know me. And I'm facing them, and I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm the new kid. I get it. They don't know my athletic ability or lack thereof, whatever they may think or determine after we play this game, but they, they don't know me, so I know I'm not going to get picked first, but please, God, don't let me get picked last, right? Uh, I don't want to get picked last. It's that nobody wants to be picked last, and we get how this, this goes, right? We, we know we don't put it in formal ways, and we actually teach each other how to pick teams. It just naturally happens. Usually, the captains are either the really popular kids or they're the best athletes, right? And we don't want them on the same team. So like, why don't you guys be captains? We can put in different teams, right? And then what's the next step of those captains they're supposed to do next? What do they do next? They pick who, though? They pick the best player, right? And it may not be their friend. It may be the bully at school, but who cares? I want them on my team because we're going to win. And your friends, who you will pick then after that, are totally okay with it because they want to be on the best team team and have the best players. And even when you pick your friends, like there's a little bit of uh, negotiating there. Like, who do I pick first out of my friends once we get to there, right? And then, of course, you got the end of the line where you have these kids and you're like, why are you even in this line, right? You have no athletic ability at all. In fact, your athletic ability is an athletic liability to your team. You don't want to be uh, we don't want you on this team. And you kind of just like it's a concession, like, fine, there's the last couple kids. Worse, uh, less of the two evils, I'll just pick one, and then, you, of course, you have the last kid. So they go down the line, and uh, they're picking their teams, and I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going to be picked at, and I didn't get picked last. It felt good. It felt really good. I'm like, man, they don't really know who I am, but they must have made some kind of judgment that I'm better than these other kids that are behind me behind me, going picked after me, right? So it, it feels good. And here's, here's the problem, and here's the point, is that that type of judgment and that type of favoritism that we show on the playground is not limited to the playground. It flows over into our workplaces. Maybe you've been passed over on getting a job or a promotion because someone was favored over you. We're not just talking about different resumes or something or qualifications. We're just talking they were legit favored. They had it in with the person that was hiring or some kind of networking that you didn't have. And so they were picked over you. This happens in families. Some of you experience this in your families. Favoritism of, of one child over another, whether you were favored or not favored, it happens in families. And then it, the more kids you have in the families, like 
for, for some of us, you grew up in a kind of a bigger family, and the baby of the family tends to get favored, right? It feels like that if you're, if you're an older kid. Well, it's not that they're being favored. It's just that the older kids, like, wore out their parents, and they're like, I don't care what that other kid does anymore. Like, whatever, right? They're just done, right? They're worn out. But there, there can be favoritism that shows up even in families. And this is, this is a problem with our whole society. We start favoring some people over others, and that causes nothing but division and fighting and quarreling and problems. It's no longer uniting us. But what about those people that are Jesus-loving people? those that are saying that they uh, uh, trust Jesus with their life? And what happens when they start showing favoritism and they don't even realize it? Is it just part of the thing? So I, I just want you to know today's message has been a real gut, a punch in the gut for me. And so I'm going to pass that on to you. Uh, so my suffering is going to now be your suffering as well. Uh, but in, in, in all honesty, it's, it's a tough one because we don't like to think that we uh, judge people differently or show favoritism to one person or another, but we do, and it's part of the way our society is set up. And how do we undo that? If we are going to love the way Jesus loves and be like Jesus, how do we undo that? Well, that takes wisdom, doesn't it? We need God's wisdom. That's our, our message series, Everyday Wisdom, because we need wisdom every day. We're taking a look at a letter uh, that Jesus' half-brother wrote. His name is James. Uh, some of you are familiar with James. You like James. Some of you are not. And we're going to trace this theme throughout the letter of James and how he addresses uh, how we are to actually be and treat other people. What is the one thing that we are supposed to be doing? Um, so let's take a look at the example that he gives his church, and we're going to stay in that, and then we're going to bring it out wider, okay? So James chapter 2 Starting in verse 1, he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith or trust in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Okay, for us, we're like, okay, I'm not sure how it takes trust in this but or how that brings my trust in Jesus into question. So let him unpack it. Verse 2, for example... Suppose someone comes into your meeting. What kind of meeting is this that you're talking about? Is this a business meeting, right? No. What kind of meeting? Yeah, it's church meeting. It's like this right here. So suppose somebody comes into your church. That's what he's talking about. They just called it a meeting. So for, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there, let's just sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? You're not feeling the gut punch yet? Tighten up the abs, because here it comes. The scenario, the, 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 the context, the culture that they lived in, why this is such a big deal, it, and why he's addressing this as being evil motives is in their society to move from one social class to another, you had to have the right contacts and the right connections. And so if you were to have a party, you throw a party, you would invite people that were in the next level of class system 
uh, to your party because then they would be obligated to invite you to their party when they uh, threw one, and then you start moving up those social classes. So let's say you're in a poor church like James Church. It doesn't have a lot of money. It has a lot of poor people in it, and someone comes in that has money. You can see that they have money. And now you start going like, oh, man, this could be somebody that could really help us in our church setting. We don't have a lot of money. Maybe they could help us. So let's give them the best seat in the house. Let's actually give them a place to sit. But other people that are poor, um, you know what, just go stand over there uh, or sit on the floor or whatever you need to do, and you give a lot of attention to this person that might be able to help you. Their whole motive is based on a judgment that this person can benefit them. That's the evil motive, what they get out of it. They're showing favoritism to someone, not because they're just such a great person, but because they can benefit from it. There is the root of our problems of misguided judgments and starting to show favoritism to other people. And the, the punch in the gut for me on this one was um, I've been asked to uh, help coach all the da dads on the, the uh, football team. I've been asked to help coach, so it has nothing to do with my uh, athletic liability. Um, so it, they've all been asked. So when I'm out there, and I, and I was like, you know, I... I didn't want to treat Levi, who's playing football, better than the other kids because he's my son. And so what I found myself doing is flipping it around. I'm treating the other kids and spending more time with them and kind of ignoring him, which he doesn't really need my help anyway. He works really hard, and he's pretty athletic. So he doesn't need a lot of But like, I found myself flipping it around. And so as I read this, and I understand a little bit more about what's going on in James, I'm like, oh, I didn't do this well either. What was the thing that's missing from this whole thing, right? Well, how did I get that mixed up and I flipped it around the wrong way? What do I still need to have? And so James is going to continue to walk us through it, so let's not just leave it there. Verse 5, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith, wealthy in trust, right? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Now, he's implying a yes answer here, right? But we're like, I, what, did he? I don't, where are you getting that? Where does that come from, right? So, so the poor actually are inheriting, right? Not, not doing anything that they would get on their own. They are just given this as an inheritance based on their relationship, their trust in God. They're inheriting the kingdom get that? Okay, James, where are you getting that from? He actually gets it from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus' very first blessing in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And some of you might remember this as you hear a different translation, like poor in spirit or something. And you're like, well, it's not really poor. It's if you're poor in spirit. Nope, it's poor. It's the poor. He's talking about people that have nothing, that are completely trusting and are dependent on God for good treatment because they could easily be taken advantage of. They, the God, they're depending on God for their, their food every single day from other people being kind to them. 
and protecting them, everything, right? He's talking about the poor, and he's showing that He's saying that God is actually blessing them because they are completely depending. They're completely trusting God on this and others to be kind, others to be loving to them because God is loving, right? Okay, so that's what he's saying and that's where he's getting it from. But what happens when we show favoritism one way or another? Back to James' scenario, right? So instead of, uh, here's this rich person that comes into your meeting and you're honoring them, but to the poor, what are you doing with them? Verse, verse, eight, uh, verse 6, excuse me. But you dishonor the poor. God has honored them, but the way you're treating them has dishonored them. The people around you uh, that are dis, not like you or different than you, that you don't really like or whatever, how is God honoring them, but you're dishonoring them in the way that you're treating them? Uh, isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Again, implying a yes answer. And we're going like, really? That's what the rich people are doing? Who, who are they taking advantage of? Who, who are the ones, right? And if you are supposed to get a benefit from being in my presence and I don't get that benefit returned, I'm going to take you to court. Is that the way in which Jesus has called his people to behave and act? No, that, that's a horrible representation of Jesus. It's slanderous towards the very name of the people that are following Jesus. That's what he's getting at, getting at here. So what do we do about it, James? <laughs> right? How, how do we make sure that we're not showing favoritism in one way based off of judgments that are not correct? What do we do? What, what is the solution? Verse 8, Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law. So there's some kind of law, some kind of instruction that is important, and it's a royal law. It's like a golden law or a golden rule. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Heard that before. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin you are guilty of breaking the law. Which law? The love your neighbor as yourself law? Is that the law that he's talking about? The law that, that James is actually talking about is the law, the whole thing. You broke the whole thing. The whole thing is broken. And where James is getting this from is, again, from Jesus' own teaching about this. He teaches this in Matthew Chapter 22, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, word of God. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the whole thing, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two words of God, these two commandments of God. If you show favoritism, it's a sin. It's breaking the law, breaking the whole thing. In fact, James is going to expound on this in a way that seems a little bit of sideways, but it's all based on how you treat other people. How are you actually loving your neighbor as yourself? Verse 10, 
For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same, as for the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. I don't think we argue with that, right? <laughs> it's still broken. You still have not loved your neighbor as yourself. Well, I didn't kill him, right? I mean, I slept with their wife, but I didn't kill them, right? No, that's, you don't get to do that. It's still broken. You did not love your neighbor as yourself. You didn't treat them well. So you don't get to decide that. And James is talking about this idea that if we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, then it really needs to come through our words and our actions. How are we really doing with this? I found really profound when you think about here are these Jesus followers in James' meeting, right, his, his church, and they know that Jesus taught about loving your neighbors yourself, and yet when someone comes in that's dressed well and looks rich, all of a sudden they go back to their, their cultural norm of operation rather than the way in which Jesus instructed them to live. So James wants to hit on this point in verse 12. So whatever you say, or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. What? Not one of us sitting here today as 21st century Americans look at the law as something that sets us free. Am I right? Right? Speed limits, confining, not setting me free, right? Uh, uh, having to clean up my yard because of, I've got a dog like that. Why use, I can handle it myself, right? In, insert whatever law there is. It's a confining thing. And yet James is taking, there's a law out there that actually sets us free. It sets us free from all these cultural norms and sets us free just to live the way that God wanted us to live. What does that look like? Verse 13. There will be no mercy for those who have not been shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Can we show some mercy? Can we look at our neighbor and go into their situation, put ourselves into their shoes and go, how would I want to be treated if I were them? Would I, as a poor person, Want to be told just go stand over there or sit on the floor? Certainly not. Would I, as a person that grew up with these kids all the way up to fifth grade, continually being picked last and seeing this new kid there and going, finally, my opportunity to not be picked last, and then I get picked last again? How could I change the script for them? How could I look at them and put myself into their shoes and be merciful. How do we do that? What does that look like? It's the very thing that sets us free. Free to just love people the way we love, want ourselves to be loved. It opens up a whole new world for everybody involved. We don't have to start judging people and figuring out what category they fit in or show favoritism to some because we're going to benefit from it in some way. We can live in a whole new way. So we're in James chapter 2, right? 
Let's trace this through to James chapter 4 when he says this. So don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, right? That's the foundation of this whole favoritism thing. Then you are criticizing and judging God's law. Things that God told you to do. The way in which he told you to live. You're actually judging that. Because he gave you a way to live. And then my favorite line in James, well, one of them anyway, top five for sure, is this one. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. I love this. So think about it, right? I love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, but they're really annoying. And I don't know. I mean, do I have to love them? Are you talking about... Surely you're not talking about the neighbor that's got the barking dog that won't stop barking, right? Obviously not. Or not the neighbor that has really loud vehicles at 5 o'clock in the morning and wakes my kids up, right? Surely not those types of neighbors. What about neighbors that don't even look like me, don't have the same background as me, don't have the same belief system as me? Who are my neighbors? Who am I to love? James is like, you, you're, you don't get to judge whether it applies to you. Your whole thing is just to love them. It's pretty simple. Yes, the, the barking dog neighbors. Yes, the annoying neighbors. You love them. That's what you're to do. You don't get to decide whether it applies or not. God alone, verse 12, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Right? That's that's not good. That didn't feel good. I wasn't ready for that. Like, can I take another go at this? This is hard. Right? We don't like to think that we show favoritism to people. We don't like to think that we maybe judge people differently. I get it because I don't like it either. I don't like seeing myself into that place. And yet, I can find times in my life when I've certainly done that. Treated someone better because, I'll be honest, I like them more. <laughs> or I thought I did. Or I thought they would benefit me in some way. And I know that you do that too. So what are we supposed to do? What's the way forward? We're actually going to um, stop and go back to the beginning of James where he sets this up. The whole thing is set up in chapter 1, verse 22. He says, but don't just listen to God's words. Words, commandments, that's all together. It's the same. You must do what it says, right? can't just hear it. You got to actually apply it. Anybody with kids or grandkids or teachers, like you get this. Don't just hear what I'm saying. Do what I'm saying, right? Do it, right? But don't just listen to God's words. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. You're not wise. You're fools. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. You walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. You will see how it sets you free. 
And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, you actually are taking it in. What happens? God blesses you for doing that. And God blesses the poor. He honors them, but you dishonor them by the way you do things because you're not actually looking into what God is saying. You're maybe not seeing that it applies to you or in this situation. You need to reflect on it. So what's the way forward that, that James is laying out here for us? Um, well, I'm, I don't know what it is it's specifically for you, but I, I've been punched in the gut here, and so I've taken my shots, and here's what I've processed out of this. Um, that I can't be trusted to make right judgments about people um, on my own. And so when I start feeling like uh, I, there are certain people that I tend to judge differently, um, or if I start feeling myself going like, man, I, why am I treating that person so much better than someone else? When I start feeling those things or sensing those things, um, here's what I do, is I just um, say this little saying to remind myself to reflect back on, onto this, this rule of loving your neighbor yourself. It's simple as this. It's just, Jesus, help me to love them the way you do. And if you have the person's name, you know that name, you can insert it there. It would be really great, right? Uh, Jesus, help me to love Mario the way that you do, right? Jesus, help me to love and insert their name, right? Noah, the way you, Karen, the way that you enter, put their name in there, right? The way that you do. Um, and maybe you don't know their name, right? You're standing in another line. It's called the checkout line. And the, the, the cashier is new, and they're training, and you see the training badge, and you're like, why did I get in this line, right? Help me to love them the way that you do. So that's what I give to you. I'm going to have the music team come back up, because in this time of reflection for you, uh, I just want you to, to think about that. Be honest with yourself. Allow, you know, allow it to be a punch in the gut for you. Um, who... Like, where do you tend to show favoritism? There's certain places that you may treat somebody better than another person. Where do, you, where do you tend to show favoritism? Jesus, help me to love them the way that you do. Or, or uh, who do you tend to make judgments about? Do you have a category of person or a certain person in mind? Jesus, help me to love them the way that you do.